My name is Jordan. I am the online pastor here. If this is your first time visiting with us, and I have the privilege of being able to teach as well. And so if you are watching with us online, let us know in the chat so that I can connect with you. And if you're here in person, I would love to connect with you after service uh, right in the lobby and get to know you a little bit. But like I said, we are in this series called Prayers for Grownups. And when you hear that, you might think, okay, well, by age, I'm not a grown-up, so I can just check out. I promise you, you're going to have other reasons and desires to check out during my message. The title does not have to be one of them, okay? When we say prayers for grown-ups, we're talking about spiritual maturity. And so some of you might be either uh, agnostic or atheist or just not have a relationship with God, or you're newer in your relationship with God. You're a newer Christian, and so you would be considered um, a child of the faith. And some of you might have been on this journey for a long time, a while. You're a seasoned Christ follower. You believe that God is good and that God is the Savior of the world. And so you are an adult in Christianity. So wherever you are in your journey of spiritual maturity, we're spending these four weeks walking through prayer. Because I believe, like I said last week, I believe that, uh, that prayer is the cheapest thing you can do as a Christ follower that leaves the greatest impact on yourself and for others. And what I mean by that is it really doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time. Where other spiritual practices that that you can do, giving, serving, sacrificing, they require sacrifice, fasting, um, and all that that entails requires a a physical or a, uh, a demand of yourself that costs you something. Prayer is something you can do that has revolutionary impact on your relationship with God. And so if you are struggling as a Christ follower, the first question I would probably ask you is, what does your prayer life look like? And it's honestly not a surprise that the disciples, the apostles, asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11, teach us how to pray. Because they see how much Jesus valued prayer, and they wanted some of that. They wanted to understand why it was so important. And it was so important to Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus spent an entire night in prayer right before he goes and calls his 12 apostles. We see that Jesus spent another uh, couple of hours in prayer in Garden of Gethsemane right before he's crucified. And then we see that any time that Jesus was in a large crowd teaching about the gospel, the good news, directly after or even sometimes in the middle of it, he would exclude himself and excuse himself from what was going on to a solitary place and spend time, once again, in prayer. Prayer was so important for Jesus, and if it's important for Jesus, it needs to be important for us as well. And so for the first two weeks of this series, uh, we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, the famous prayer in Matthew chapter 6, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so Jesus shares with them this prayer. In the first week, Brad walked us through, hallowed be your name, starting our prayer life rather than with the list of needs, starting out with just praises and glorifying God for who God is. God, hallowed be your name. You're so powerful. You're so strong. You're so beautiful. Father and mother us, nurture us, teach us your ways. And then last week, I carried on the series and talked about verse 11 that says, give us today our daily bread. Where so often, so many of us are focused on future, we're future-focused, or we're fear-focused, or we're anxiety-driven in our decision-making and in our spiritual journey, that we often lose sight of the present mission. And so what does it look like for us in our prayer life to say, God, give us today our daily bread. 
Tomorrow will have enough problems of its own. Today, God, give me what I need to survive. And so for today's message, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, We're going to be walking through verse 12 of the Lord's Prayer. And the title of the message is called the F word. The F word. So all of us parents with kids are now wondering why youth was canceled today on a message that we're talking about the F word. But let's just break that down a little bit. Let's have a fun little introduction, okay? And so I want to ask you a question. Do you remember the first time you ever said the F word out loud? Now, we're, we're an authentic church here, so anyone who says, I've never said the F word out loud before, okay, there's the door, because you're probably not going to fit in here, all right? Um, yeah, I remember the first time that I ever said, it is so freeing, it feels so good, it gets all that frustration and that hurt out, and you just like lay it all the cards out on the table. Okay, well, let's take it to the next level. Do you remember the first time you ever said the F word to God? Who's a real Christian now, Yeah. I've said the F word plenty of times to God. No shame, okay? No shame. Again, we're just laying all the cards out on the table. In fact, I remember the first time I ever said the F word to God. I was in my room, okay? Door was closed. I was frustrated. I was hurting. I was experiencing suffering. I was experiencing pain. I was so mad. I remember pointing my finger, you know the finger, up to the sky and saying, God, forgive me. I don't know what F word you were thinking about, but I was talking about forgiveness the entire time. Some of you probably need to talk to God if you've been using another F word. So, hey, we are talking about forgiveness today. And the theme and the heart of the message is this, okay? Because honestly, um, this is a message we're going to do an entire series about next year, according to Brad. But uh, this is a message that I will not do justice today. There is so much in forgiveness, all right, there's so much to unpack, and in the 25 minutes I have with you, it, it, we're just barely going to scratch the surface. It is such a heavy topic. And there's a lot of questions that might be wrestling, that you might be wrestling with and trying to understand. See, the questions of this, does forgiveness mean forgetfulness? Does it mean you have to forget what the person or business or company or church has done that hurts you in order to forgive them? Questions such as, um, do I have to forgive the person and let them know that I've forgiven them? Or can I just forgive them in my heart? And if you've experienced abuse, trauma, harassment, um, and you're a victim of that, first I want to let you know I validate and believe you in your experience. And second, I would say, yeah, it's probably not safe to be in the same presence of your abuser. Some might disagree with that. But again, that's a topic for another day. That could just go on and on and on. And then what about this question? If you're a Christ follower, have you ever struggled with the concept of, do I need to forgive God? And for Christ followers, like that just might might blow your mind. But I'm willing to bet if you ever lost somebody, if you ever experienced suffering or pain or hatred towards God, your first thought is, I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive God. But it's crazy because God doesn't truly do anything that is um, requiring of forgiveness. But if we're being honest with ourselves, as a Christ follower, a lot of us ask that question. How could I ever forgive God for hurting me, even though God wasn't the one behind the hurt? And so you might be struggling with that. And so, like I said, there's so many different questions, so many different avenues that we could unpack for forgiveness today. 
I just want you to think about these four words. This is the theme, okay? And then in your own spiritual journey, as you continue to walk through this heavy topic, just continue to process it under this lens, okay? Forgiveness leads to freedom. Forgiveness leads to freedom. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And that is why I believe Jesus emphasizes forgiveness so much in his prayer. And this is the prayer we're talking about. Matthew chapter 6, it's going to be on the screen, verses 9 through 12. The disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us of our transgressions as we forgive those who have transgressed us, if that's even the right wording. (laughs) And so you're dealing with this struggle, okay, of this large topic of forgiveness. And as we dissect what that looks like for our individual lives, I want you to keep that theme in your mind. Forgiveness leads to freedom. And here's why I want you to keep that in mind. We're going we're gonna to address this topic in two parts. First part, we're going to spend about the next seven minutes on walking through that first verse, the first line of the verse that says, forgive us of our debts. What does it look like for us as Christ followers to get to a place of humility asking God for forgiveness, for sin we've committed, for shame that we're experiencing, or even for things that we can't forgive ourselves of. Oh, see, that's another topic for another day of self-shame, self-pity, okay? But for the first half of this, we're going to be walking through, God, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our sin. Then the second half of the message, we're going to be looking at how do we extend that same grace that God gives us to others? And if I am being honest, I think the majority of Christians struggle more with the second part of that um, and I could be wrong, uh, rather than the first part, it's e- a lot easier for us to ask for forgiveness and to expect forgiveness for God than it is to extend that same forgiveness to others, okay? And so that is where we're going to spend probably 10 to 15 minutes on. Okay, we'll be out of here by 1130 and then go Colts, all right? And Cowboys, sorry, Patriots fans, sorry, Dennis. All right, um, okay, so I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 51, We're going to spend the entire day walking through the life of David, but the first part of the day, we're actually going to start the second half of his life, and then we're going to time travel back to when he was just a youngin, okay? But if you want to turn with me to Psalm chapter 51, this is David's prayer to God, and he's crying out to God, asking God to cleanse him of his heart. And here's why. You see, forgiveness leads to restoration, reconciliation, renewal, um, a bunch of our words, <laughs> but it can also, if we don't forgive, our inability to forgive leads to resentment and holding a grudge and judgment. And if we're being honest, pride and jealousy. Ooh, that's another word. Jealousy of, well, they hurt me, but they're doing better than I am. And so, man, there's just so many topics we could talk about. And so David is praying this prayer. I want to give you some context for the Psalm 51 prayer. All right. David is praying this prayer of forgiveness, asking God to forgive him because he has just committed a sin. He has just taken advantage of Bathsheba, gotten her pregnant, then murdered her husband and became 
uh, the new husband and father of the child. The child ends up passing away. David experiences so much remorse for his sin. And this is the prayer that we have that David is praying out to God. All right, Psalm chapter 51. This is what David prays. Verse one, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I want to stop there for a second. I think that verse is the Old Testament parallel to Paul's letter to the church in Rome in chapter seven, where Paul says, I know the things I do and I continue to do the things that I do, even though I hate what I do. And so if you haven't read Romans chapter seven, I want you to go home today, or if you're online, after we're done with the message, parallel Psalms 51 to Romans chapter seven. You've got the same heart that Paul has, and it's a very cool distinction between Old Testament and New Testament, but the same heart of asking God to forgive us. Okay, verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Again, a lot of Paul language comes from, you know, this, this Old Testament language, and it's very similar. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And then here's, here's the part I really want to focus on for today's message. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verses 10 through 12 are so powerful in this concept of forgiveness. David is experiencing remorse. He is experiencing pain for the sins he has committed. He recognizes his sins. He gets to a place of humility, and he is crying out, praying out to God. He says, purify in me a new heart. Purify in me a new heart. Again, another Paul line parallel comes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So much Pauline language comes from these Psalms and from Isaiah and these connections and stuff. And if you got David, who is crying out that prayer, he's saying, I have done wrong, I have sinned, I have experienced destruction. Now God, give me freedom. Forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my trespasses. You see, this is why it's so important for us to spend intimate, intentional time in prayer. And Jesus defines that as going into your room, closing your door, and being alone. It's not to say that there isn't good that comes from our car ride prayers or our walking prayers. There's still good in that, but Jesus just says, hey, there's a better way. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's the car ride prayers are still good, but there's something better something more powerful. And it's when you are able to excuse yourself from the crowd, the busyness, and spend intimate time with God, then God will expose in your heart the sins that you are committing. 
And David does this and experiences something powerful. And in verse 10, he goes, purify in me a new heart. And honestly, our pride and our routine sin, the sin that we don't think is very, um, very destructive, and we all have the, our, our categories of sin. If we're being honest, even though God doesn't and God sees sin as just destructive all in all, we would place probably murder and, and rape and abuse probably in one category. And then we would say, well, lying. And Brad would put gluttony in that category. And, you know, all these different issues and stuff that are, are lesser sins in our eyes and have less of an impact on others. Uh, even lust, even some of us would put pornography in that and, and whatnot and sexual morality. And, and that's what we do. And so our pride and our routine sins often blinds us from the weight of what we are actually doing. And so when we go to a time of prayer and we invite God to expose in our hearts our sin, it's scary but so necessary. Because a lot of times we go into that prayer not knowing what's going to come out of it, and then we realize how terrible of a person we are. But the beauty in that is that God forgives. And so regardless of what you've experienced, what you've done, what your past has looked like, what day, uh, you know, one through whatever day you're on now of living has looked like, you can start fresh today. You can start over And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because once again, forgiveness leads to freedom. Forgiveness leads to freedom. That's why when Jesus, okay, is on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Right? That verse is so powerful in our walk because a lot of times in our routine sin, in our comfortable sinning life, if we don't allow God to expose in ourselves, we don't know what we're doing. Or we do know what we're doing, And we continue to do it, that Romans chapter 7 Paul prayer. And yet, God still says on the cross, forgive them. Because forgiveness leads to freedom. All right, that's the first half of the message. What does it look like for you to ask God to expose into your heart the areas that you are sinning? Second half of the message that I want to spend the last 14 minutes on for today. Okay. Um it's going to get a little heavy, all right? Because I recognize that it is so difficult for us to get to a place of humility when somebody has hurt us. And then there's so many questions like, what if they're not sorry? Okay? What if they're not sorry? What if they don't know that they hurt me? What if they've abused me and have traumatized me for life? And there's permanent damage there. How do I get to a place of forgiveness? That's what we're going to unpack here. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read an example of forgiveness. And like I said at the beginning of the message, the first half of the message, we were looking at the second half of David's life. Now we're going to time travel, and for the second half of the message, look at the first half of David's life. And so 1 Samuel chapter 24, David is considered, again, one of the greatest kings of Israel, one of the greatest kings of all time. He was uh, anointed at a very young age, the youngest of all of his brothers, probably just a teenager when he was anointed and prophesied to become king. But then there was about 30 years, don't quote me on this, I'm not exactly um, firm on the number, there were about 30 years from the time Jesus or God prophesied 
that David would become king to when he actually became king. And see, that's another message for another day of where we've got the promise and then we've got the waiting period and then we've got, you know, we get to experience what God has in store for us. So many of us in our Western culture, we go from promise to experience without the waiting period. Man, that's another message for another day, okay? But let's just walk through David's life, all right? David has the prophecy. He ends up then going and slaying a giant, Goliath, and then starts working for King Saul. He's a great worker. King Saul loves him. His son Jonathan loves him. Well, then King Saul gets wind that, hey, my time's about to be up. King David is going to take over and overthrow me. And so Saul starts to um, plot against David and try to kill him. David gets wind of this. And as you do, you run, you flee, and Saul chases after him. And so that's the context for where we are right now. First Samuel 24, this is what Samuel writes about David. Verse 1, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hands on him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Verse 8, this is where the power of the story happens. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay in my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Verse 14, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my curse and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. He said, You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. We're going to stop there. So you've got this situation where David is in the cave, fleeing from his life because Saul is pursuing him. 
And he has an opportunity to kill Saul. In fact, his entire community is encouraging him to kill Saul. And this then goes back to so many times we've experienced pain and like we see an opportunity to like either get back at the person that hurt us or the thing that hurt us or the, uh, the business or the church that hurt us. And we see, ooh, God is giving us karma. God is setting us up to hurt them back. Like that is where it is coming from. I think so many of us have thought that before, but David's example is so pure of heart because he says, after he cuts off a piece of rope, he rebukes his people for seeing us, for seeing it that way. He rebukes his people for asking him to take advantage of that which God has given him an opportunity to do so. And then he goes out to Saul. He shows Saul what he has done. And he still feels remorse for it. He still feels remorse for it. And Saul is overwhelmed with emotion. Overwhelmed with emotion because of David's grace, his forgiveness, and most importantly, his mercy, where David could have killed him. And the second half of the story that we don't have time to read today, Saul then goes on to ask a favor of David. He says, hey, I know you just, you know, refused to kill me. How about we take it to the next step? Please don't kill my family either when I'm dead. <laughs> and David agrees to this because he's filled with mercy. He's filled with grace. He's filled with the process, understanding that in order for him to experience freedom, he needs to forgive that which has hurt him. Wow. And I think this is why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. And when we hear that language in our Western society where we don't experience real persecution, it often goes over our heads. But Jesus is talking to a community that is literally being tied to stakes and burned by the Roman Empire for being Christian. For following that which is not the Roman government. And so when he says these words, but then later on when it's written down 30 years later and the church is under heavy persecution, he is saying, hey, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you're like, well, yeah, I got to pray for them. No, it's not a prayer of like life change, like from a, um, like, well, it is life change. Life transformation, I think, is the better word. But often our prayers are like, God, get them back. Karma. And David shows us that that's not a pure heart. That's not the heart that we need to have. Some thoughts that might be going through your mind. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. You're right. But if you want to experience freedom, you need to walk through forgiveness. But you don't understand how badly that church hurt me. You're right. But if you want to experience freedom, you need to walk through forgiveness. But they abused me, and I have permanent damage from that abuse. I know. And I validate, and I believe your experience. But by holding on to resentment, you are giving them power over you. And if you want to experience freedom, you have to lean into forgiveness. You have to lean into forgiveness. And here's why. Because forgiveness is the doorway to freedom, while resentment is the doorway to destruction. Forgiveness is the doorway that leads to freedom, while resentment, while judging, while holding grudges, while being bitter, 
or being salty for all my younger generation folks. God wants you to be sweet, not salty, okay? That doorway leads to destruction. And this is such a tough message. I get it. I understand it. I hurt with it, and I struggle with it because I have been hurt. I've been hurt by the church, not this church, the church before, the church before this. I've been hurt by people, and it has caused damage in my walk with God. But the only thing that has freed me from that damage and that destruction has been forgiveness. And it's why Jesus got on the cross, because he wanted to save us from eternal destruction so that we could experience eternal freedom in heaven. And so here's how I want to close today, all right? I want to give you a challenge and then just a, um, a closing thought, all right? Here's the challenge for this week, all right? Because I believe, like I said, if you want to experience that freedom and be exposed to that um, destruction that you are experiencing, you have to spend time in prayer. Because God will expose in you the things that you need to ask forgiveness for, but then also the people and the places and the things that you need to forgive, all right? It's a, it's a two-way system. So here's your challenge for this week. Here's your prayer. God, expose in me the things that I need to forgive. God, expose in me the things that I need to forgive. And it's a scary prayer. Ask and you shall receive. God will expose in you the things of your heart. And something we have to understand, I didn't share this first service. Something we have to understand is this is a process, okay? This is a journey, all right? You may seek forgiveness today and not experience the freedom, not truly experience the forgiveness. Because even though our mind wants to forgive, our heart is still holding on. And so this is a process. This is a journey. Don't give up, all right? So that's your prayer. Here is the closing idea, okay? And this is what I want us to leave with today. And the question I want you to ask yourself as you're praying this, do I expect God to offer me a type of grace that I'm not willing to extend to others? So often and easily we approach God for mercy and grace, expecting God to forgive us, but so rarely do we extend that same type of grace to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your freedom, for dying on the cross so that we can experience peace and life and joy and freedom. I pray, Heavenly Father, God, that as we're wrestling with how we pray, Lord, that you've taught us the importance of seeking forgiveness in our prayer time, exposing in us a new heart, a better heart, a good heart. And Lord, that's scary because it requires us to be humbled by our pride. And so Lord, I just ask Heavenly Father, Lord, that in each and every one of us, regardless of if we're struggling with the sin that we need forgiven of, we're struggling with shame that we need to let go of, or we are struggling to forgive others, that you would give us the, um, the vision to see clearly that which we need to forgive. In your name I pray. Amen.